What is up, everyone? Welcome back to TMT Time. I'm your host, Devin Rothstein. Today, I am joined by someone who has quite the following online, and that is Dennis Garcia, who is the Assistant General Counsel at Microsoft. Dennis, welcome into TMT Time. Thank you so much, Evan. It's great to be here, and thanks for inviting me today. You have uh, an incredible post history on LinkedIn and otherwise with all sorts of topics. And I wanted you to join because uh, I love a lot of these topics and I'm happy to talk with them about you. But to begin with, that'd be uh, great if you could just give our listeners a bit of background about yourself and introduce yourself to everyone. Sure, sure. And so um, again, my name is Dennis Garcia. I'm an assistant general counsel for Microsoft. I'm based in the uh, greater Chicago area. Uh, I'm based in the suburbs of Chicago. I've uh, been living in the suburbs of Chicago in a suburb called Hinsdale for the last year and a half or so. Before that, uh, I lived in uh, in the city of Chicago for uh, 20 plus years. So uh, in my role as an assistant general counsel for Microsoft, uh, I lead the legal support function to three segments uh, for Microsoft US, which is a uh, uh, Microsoft's um, sales and services and marketing arm in the United States. So I provide lead legal support to our global partner solutions team, our chief digital officer team, and our marketing and operations team. And I've been at Microsoft, it will be 19 years uh, come early December, uh, always in the Chicago area. Before that, I worked in-house for Accenture. Uh, and before that, I worked in-house for IBM, and that's when I start where I started my legal career a long time ago uh, after after Columbia Law School. So I've, I've always worked in-house. I've never have worked for a law firm, but of course I've worked and partnered with lots of uh, great law firms uh, in my career. And I really um, I really enjoy working as an in-house counsel, and and for of course a a fabulous uh, company uh, at Microsoft and. It really allows me to learn a lot about the business. Our business is constantly evolving and changing. And as lawyers, especially in-house, we need to constantly evolve and change and to really make sure we're serving our clients in the right manner. How many lawyers in the Microsoft Legal Group have been there longer than you? I'm not quite sure. I think I'm getting to be uh, one of the, uh, I don't want to say old timers, if you will. But uh, if you look at the Microsoft legal department, of course, it's a very large legal department. I, I believe we have over, well over now, 1,500 uh, lawyers and legal professionals and business folks scattered across uh, the globe. And uh, we've also become a very high, highly diverse uh, legal group uh, as well. So it's uh, it's interesting to see um, the folks who have remained at Microsoft for, for, for a long period of time. Uh, we're seeing some people you know, retire as well, but the Microsoft stock has done very well over the last six or seven years. Uh, and it's also interesting to see the, the, the great legal talent we're bringing into uh, uh, the organization, which, uh, which I think is, is terrific. And for me, somebody who's been at Microsoft for a long time, it's, uh, it's a real privilege to try to help mentor and train and onboard uh, what I view as being the next generation of uh, great Microsoft lawyers and legal professionals. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. What are the types of attributes of the lawyers that you're hoping to bring on? And how do you pass down sort of the values that are important to you and important to the company to make sure that they're set up for success? Sure. I mean, I'll say a few things about that. And, and uh, we have one opening 
uh, an open head, if you will, uh, on, on my team right now where we're looking uh, for, for, for a great candidate to uh, support our global partner solutions team uh, in, in the US. But I would say a few things. I mean, uh, number one, um, somebody who is, um, I like somebody who's really hungry, right? And eager and enthusiastic. Uh, and uh, it, it has this, 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 this view of wanting to be a lifelong learner and uh, uh, somebody who is also uh, not afraid of making mistakes, trying things out, trying things new. Um, one thing which we're seeing, uh, as I mentioned earlier, is our business is constantly evolving and changing. So we need people who I think uh, are open to change and doing different things and trying things out is not, not fearful of change. So I think uh, someone who's open to change, somebody who's hungry, somebody who is uh, willing to work hard, quite frankly. I also think another success attribute uh, are folks who are strong collaborators, uh, people who are, are, are comfortable in using technology, our technology, using Microsoft Teams to share content and information and to try to make their teammates better. I mean, those are some of the few of the, the success attributes or things which I'm looking for uh, in, in lawyers. Um, I'm also looking for folks who are hopefully very confident in what they do. Um, so much of what we do as in-house lawyers is building and earning the trust of our business clients, right? So we need people who uh, will work and partner well, not just with their colleagues, but of course, our internal business clients, right? Uh, because I think the ultimate... Um, um, uh, success for in-house lawyers is when you have your repeat business clients, people who constantly are reaching out to you time and time again and value your uh, legal advice and, and, and opinion. Um, I will say that in terms of in the last year and a half when we've brought in new folks, it's been a little bit of a challenge because- Is it all remote? You know, you're in Chicago, obviously Microsoft's based in Washington. Have you always been in Chicago? Were you in the office? I've always have been in, in uh, the Chicago area. Uh, I have worked uh, a lot, of course, in our office in downtown Chicago in the Aon Center building when I lived uh, downtown. We also have an office here close to where I live out here in the suburbs in Downers Grove. Uh, but for a long time, sure. I mean, I would be going into the office uh, every day. I, I think as we move to a, more of a cloud-based company, um, people who worked in the field, the lawyers supporting the field operations, the salespeople were moving to more of a hybrid approach, quite frankly, and working you know, part of the time at home and also then going into the office periodically. Now, the team, who, which I have the privilege of leading, um, they're not co-located with me in Chicago. They're in different uh, cities and different places, right? So I've, I've been used to working with colleagues who are scattered across the United States uh, well before the pandemic. But in terms of um, bringing in new folks uh, during the pandemic, um, there's been a few folks on my team who I've never met, quite frankly, uh, in person, right? And um, it, it's, it's been, it could be a challenge to, to help bring along and onboard uh, people on a, on a remote basis, right? And so uh, I, I think uh, every company and organization has seen that. I think uh, we're all getting more and more excited for, for the day in which you know, we feel a little more comfortable returning to the office, connecting with our colleagues, perhaps, perhaps having periodic uh, quarterly meetings or summits in person. Um, one thing which we've had traditionally in the Microsoft legal department ever since I've worked at Microsoft is the, uh, the Microsoft Legal Team Summit 
every May, and we couldn't have one this past May because of the uh, uh, because of the pandemic. Uh, but that's an opportunity for all the Microsoft lawyers and legal folks to come together once a year in person in the Seattle area, where um, we get to meet and really learn from each other. And it's uh, it's it's a tribute to our Microsoft president and vice chair Brad Smith that we've been having uh, those summits um, for the longest of time. You know up until uh, the pandemic. What sorts of things have you done with your team over the last year and a half to try to keep them together and keep them working towards a common goal and making sure that everyone still feels connected even though you can't be in person? Well, I would say a few things. I think um, one thing which I stress to, uh, to, to my teammates, uh, and, and I've stressed this even before the pandemic, is the notion of uh, embracing wellness right constantly embracing wellness and i think we've seen the importance of that uh more than ever before with the uh with, with the pandemic so i'm constantly encouraging my teammates to make sure um they're taking their vacation time asking them how can i help you how can i support you um you know let me know how your workload is going uh if we need of course to use outside counsel to divert some to work you know to other resources we can certainly you know do so but I'm um, I'm also I think role modeling the fact that I'll let my teammates know that you know, every morning I I walk and take my son to the uh, the bus stop down the street. Um, if I don't have any meetings in the morning, I'll go for a, a half hour run uh, in in my my area. Um, I also make it a point to pick up my son uh, from the bus stop around three thirty every day when hopefully my my schedule allows me to to do so. But but I do that purposely because I think it is important for us to take breaks from the work workspace and to make sure that, you know, of course, we're working hard, but um, but, you know, we got to be careful about overextending ourselves. So I'm constantly encouraging my teammates to doing that. And I think checking in with, with uh, folks on my team uh, periodically, not to the point where folks feel like I'm micromanaging them, but checking in, seeing how I can help. Um, having open honest conversations you know we um th there's a, a phrase a big phrase a significant phrase uh talking about uh, psychological safety uh brad smith uh, required members of his legal department to read a, an incredible uh book by uh amy edmondson i think it's called the fearless organization and it talks about the importance of creating this notion of psychological safety with your teammates and that's um, that's something which is not easy to do. You have to uh, earn that trust of your teammates over a period of time. But I think a key part of developing that psychological safety with members of your team is this notion about being accessible to them, letting them know that you're here to support them, but also being open and honest with them uh, about uh, how they're doing in the workplace, uh, areas which they may need some uh, some some help or feedback. Um, I, I think earning that trust and building that trust with uh, with your teammates is very important. And of course, I think it's, it is harder to do when you're in a distributed remote uh, environment. It's not not impossible, but I think it is uh, harder to do when you're not connecting with them in person and uh, able to grab coffee with them or lunch or dinner or just in sort of seeing them, uh, you know, in person, if you will. So I, I like and agree with pretty much everything you just said. Uh, and as a fellow leader of teams, the one thing that I think you left out, but you're doing uh, with your actions, and that is modeling you know, good behavior. You are 
telling your team, I'm going to go take my son to school and I'm going to pick my son up from school. And by extension, you are learning, you know, having them learn that that's okay for them to do that as well. Um, and that is encouraged that they should do that as well as part of their wellness. So uh, those of you who've listened to this podcast all the time know that I talk about Peloton all the time because I do it every day and I'm obsessed with it. And that's kind of how I've stayed well mentally uh, in the pandemic, but it's also being around my kids and making sure I'm taking my kids to school when I can and picking them up from school. One of the things that I've done is tried to stop scheduling meetings uh, at the time of the afternoon when I know people may have childcare duties or things that they need to do outside of work. And so the things that we can do as leaders to model uh, behavior that's you know expected and appropriate, which is basically everything you just said, Dennis, and, and that's I'm sure why uh, you have such a loyal following here and why your team members want to you know, stick with you and probably why you've been at Microsoft for nearly 20 years. Um, one of the things that I've noticed about you know, trends that you've posted about over the last month, it was Hispanic Heritage Month. I noticed, I think it's the Puerto Rican flag in the background there uh, to you, Dennis. Uh, those of you who listen to podcasts also know that diversity is really important to me, especially when building out teams and diverse, diversity of thought. Uh, and background. So Dennis, tell our listeners a little bit how you champion diversity in the workplace, how you encourage diversity on your teams, and why it's so important to you. Well, I mean, there's a few reasons why uh, it's important uh, to me, and I think why it should be important to all of us. I mean, number one, um, diversity and inclusion makes a lot of good business sense to begin with. I mean, there's been studies which show time and time again that uh, teams which are more diverse and inclusive in their makeup uh, outperform teams which are less diverse and inclusive uh, in makeup. Uh, when you look at it from a, a Microsoft perspective and you look at uh, our business and our customers, our customers, our consumers, uh, as well as our enterprise customers come from a very diverse mosaic background of, of different folks, different people. And uh, from a business perspective, it's important for us uh, as Microsoft uh, folks who are selling our products, designing our products, uh, the lawyers who are designing the contracts and the legal practices associated with Microsoft is also important for us to be diverse uh, so we can really uh, enable and, and anticipate the needs of our customer and partner segment uh, who's uh, increasingly diverse. So I think there is a uh, an important business component uh, to uh, to embracing diversity and inclusion. Uh, I think another element, and, and we've seen this in the in the legal profession, certainly since I've been a lawyer in my career, is um, uh, our profession has not advanced as well as it should have advanced uh, when it when it comes to embracing diversity and inclusion. And there's probably lots of reasons uh, for that. Um, but but I think at the end of the day. Uh, when I look at serving my clients um, uh, and trying to provide them with the best practical, smart risk-taking advice that I can, to the extent that I'm open to different perspectives and views and my teammates bring in different perspectives or views, then we're, we're providing, I think, a richer and much higher quality legal advice and counsel to our clients. And, uh, you know, we're in a service industry and we want to provide the best and most robust counsel as possible. And I, I like it when um, I'm connecting with folks on my team and we're talking about an issue or a matter and they're willing to say, well, Dennis, have you thought about that? Or you haven't considered that issue? You know, 
they sort of expand my horizons and open my my minds my mind if you will and i think that's really important uh, as we're trying to provide the best legal counsel that we can provide to uh, our clients at microsoft by having that diverse perspective we're going to be better positioned uh, to deliver really good uh, diverse uh, uh, legal advice uh, and counsel. And I'm very proud of Microsoft where, while of course we still have more work to do, if you look in our legal department, I think we've done a really, really good job to embrace uh, more diversity and inclusion over the years. We've made some incredible strides since when I joined the company uh, now almost 19 years ago. Uh, and we're making more strides, I think, on, on the business side. You know, We came up with, I believe our diversity report uh, last week, uh, we we have more work to do, um, but um, but but I'm proud to work for a, a company uh, whose leadership um, and sets the right tone at the top in embracing diversity and inclusion. So, as someone who is a purveyor of services, uh, both you provide services to your clients, which are the internal people, but you also are out in the market for those of us like me who offer services in-house counsel. And I'd be interested in getting your thoughts on the attributes that you look for in outside counsel, what you're really looking for from them and the services that they provide for you. And some of the things that, that, you know, stand out to you for, you know, either very positive or very negative in terms of the, the lawyers that you work with. I would say a few things. I mean, going back to this point about uh, diversity and inclusion, um, I, I, I do like outside counsel uh, who staff uh, matters uh, with folks from a diverse background. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I think to the extent that um, you have folks who can provide a, uh, a broader based perspective on legal issues uh, because of their diverse backgrounds, that's gonna make your legal advice uh, even better. So to the extent that our outside counsel or the outside counsel I work with uh, are uh, open and willing uh, to have uh, lawyers from different and diverse backgrounds staff our matters, to me, that is a, a very big plus. Uh, but we're also, uh, at least from my perspective too, looking for really good lawyers who can help us uh, problem solve issues, right? And uh, what I also look for from a, from a, um, uh, an outside counsel lawyer is uh, is someone who also has an in-house counsel mindset, if you will. Meaning, um, I'm really not interested in getting a 50-page memorandum on a particular legal issue. I want to get no. Um, you don't like memos. <laughs> Shocking. I, I want to get um, some really good nuts and bolts, you know, advice and counsel. Uh, which hopefully I can understand re relatively easy, easily, and then be able to share that with uh, with, with my business clients, right? Who are uh, very busy people. Sometimes they may also have limited attention spans. So I need, uh, you know, uh, really good and thoughtful, smart, risk-taking advice, right? So much of what we do as in-house lawyers is helping our business clients engage in smart risk, right? Um, and trying to, to, to look at the risk of a particular matter and to try to break it down until it's into its practical sort of components, if you will, so that we can help our clients make uh, a smart decision. So to the extent that uh, uh, our outside counsel can help us do that and also help uh, explain uh, complex issues in a relatively straightforward and easy, easily understood way, uh, to me, I think that's also another hallmark 
uh, of a terrific uh, outside uh, counsel. And then to tell you the truth, I, I think uh, outside counsel who are open in terms of um, receiving feedback and they want feedback from me or my teammates so that they can improve uh, upon their provision of legal services and, and those outside counsels who actively seek our feedback periodically, they check in with us, they, they, they really wanna know how they can uh, improve their legal services to us. I think that's another important factor uh, as well. And then another point I'll make, and I know I'm rambling a little bit, are- no, um, th This is the stuff that everybody that's in my side of the table really, really wants to and, and frankly needs to hear. So I'm not gonna interrupt you. I, I think, um, and we've seen this now in the pandemic where I think the legal profession has because they've had to really step up uh, and be more open-minded to use leading technology, right? Like cloud computing tools. I think um, those outside counsel firms who are willing to invest more and utilize leading and hopefully very safe and cyber secure technology. Uh, I, I think those are the ones who are gonna help differentiate themselves from others. Uh, I think technology is a lawyer's best friend. And to the extent that uh, law firms are more open to using uh, secure and cutting edge, hopefully Microsoft uh, technology as well. I'm, I'm biased being the Microsoft person, of course, but, but using leading technology to deliver their services to their clients uh, and, and are active in, in helping to share their information and knowledge with uh, uh, with, with their clients, uh, I think they're going to be better positioned. And and when I look at it also outside counsel, I, I love it when our outside counsel law firms work on a particular matter uh, for us, but then they just don't stop there. I mean, then they extend it in terms of, and, and sometimes they're not charging us for this, uh, uh, in terms of giving us some lessons learned or best practices on how we can prevent uh a particular issue or a matter from, you know, rising up to the to, 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 to how it came to our attention to begin with, meaning that those outside law firms who help um, help us be a little more proactive in risk mitigation and best practices and lessons learned and sharing that information with us uh, are, are the ones which, I mean, quite frankly, I, I want to partner with and, and be able to learn from. All right, so that was a lot, and I'm going to have to play that on repeat for the members of my team. And I will say that our firm is switching to Microsoft Teams only, but in the interest of not pandering to you, Dennis, we did not do Microsoft Teams for this particular podcast, um, but we do use it, and I use it heavily with other clients. Um, well, I, I will I will say thank you, number one, for being a terrific Microsoft uh, customer. You know, in the Microsoft legal department, of course, we're using Microsoft Teams each and every day. And uh, again, I'm biased on this, but I just think it's a terrific tool to help break down uh, silos within your legal department and your legal team. And it's so easy and, and uh, intuitive to be able to, uh, to create channels and to post content on Teams channels so that you can make your, your teammates better and hopefully uh, be better positioned to, uh, to support your clients. All right, let's talk about some of the content that you put out that is not Microsoft sanctioned or Microsoft approved. And so we'll put that disclaimer in there. You have something called Three Strikes. You put a lot of videos out. I watched them all, uh, but why don't you tell us sort of the behind the scenes, like what are they? Why'd you start them? Um, what, what are you trying to, to do with them? Sure, uh, I started this uh, a few months ago. I mean, just sort of back up for a second. 
Uh, I'm a big fan of, of social media, uh, big fan of using uh, and posting and contributing on LinkedIn. I'm also a big user and, and fan of, of Twitter as well. I've also gotten involved in Instagram, but I think social media is just a great medium to be able to learn from others and to share information, to build your brand and also to build uh, your organization's uh, brand. But uh, going back to this three strikes video segment, which I've created, and I've done maybe about six, seven or eight of them so far, I believe. Um, but the purpose of the this three strikes, strikes video segment is um, I'm a big fan of baseball, big fan of sports. Um, um, and, and I created this segment, uh, which is supposed to be anywhere between three to five minutes per video, where I just want to share three strikes, three best practices in connection with a particular topic uh, about in-house legal practice. And my, my thought was knowing that video is becoming more and more popular as a medium uh, on social media, I said to myself, well, why don't you try something different, Dennis, instead of just posting uh, written content, you know, show yourself on a video uh, where you're, you're, uh, you're laying out three best practices, three takeaways for in-house counsel. Uh, maybe people would, would, would like the video format. You're making it a little more personable. You're making it interesting. I've done a few videos with our family dog, Coco. I've done oh, a few. Yeah. I've seen those. Yeah, <laughs> I love the dog. I love when the dog guest stars. Yes, I, and I like Coco too. I mean, so, um, and um, that's been nice. There's been some times I've done my video outside uh, on our patio, on our porch. Uh, I'll do the video here in my, my office uh, at times. And my most recent video, uh, if folks haven't seen it yet, um, I'm a big fan of a movie called Scarface, uh, which came out a long time ago, back in the 1980s. And if you saw the movie Scarface, it, it, it uh it portrayed uh, a person who was a drug dealer whose name was uh, Tony Montana. And, um, and um, uh, uh, Al Pacino was the actor who portrayed Tony Montana. Anyhow, it's one of my favorite movies. Movies, However, Mr. Montana and, and his colleagues use a lot of inappropriate and offensive wording throughout that movie. And I use that movie sort of as a, as a, a reminder to folks that we need to be really smart and thoughtful whenever we're creating content or providing information in a digital format or electronic format, whether it's through email or through instant messages or through um, uh, social media uh, content. But what I try to do with these videos is to provide in-house lawyers with uh, some practical takeaways in a particular area. And I just felt that, um, you know, I've got well over 20 years experience being an in-house lawyer, a wide variety of experience, and why not try to share some of my knowledge, uh, lessons learned, and best practices with, with folks. And uh, I've enjoyed doing it. You know, it takes some time to put these videos together. I think, I think I'm getting better progressively at some of these videos. I try to be funny in some of these videos too. I mean, I'm trying to be as personable and interesting as I can. But bottom line is I want to share really good, rich content with, uh, with folks targeted to the in-house legal community. And uh, and help them be be better lawyers, quite frankly. So that you are uh, basically advertising what I'm trying to do with this podcast, which is reach a broader audience in a, a more palatable manner and allow people like yourself, guests, to show a side of themselves that they might not otherwise get to do. Uh, but for me, selfishly, it, it's about the learning, the the amount of incredible amount of learning that I've been able to have by virtue of doing this podcast, getting guests like you 
to to weigh in on certain topics and and you know whether it's in the format of three strikes or whether it's you know 30 minutes of just discussing topics that I think other people ought to know and ought to consider in their in their legal practice or in their business I think is highly valuable and it is a positive use of of social media so big White Sox fan I know Dennis so my apologies they didn't make it that far in the playoffs this year uh, we're hitting the World Series. What's I'm actually, I'm sorry, Evan, I'm actually, I believe it or not, a, a big New York Yankees fan. Yankees fan, really? I, I, although I've been living in the Chicago area for just now 25 years, uh, I grew up in the New York City area, I was born in the Bronx. And so if you're born in the Bronx, uh, you know, your birthright is to be a, a New York Yankees fan. So, uh, but the Yankees, uh, they, they didn't get too yeah. far. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, who's going to win the World Series? The Strohs or the Braves? Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't been following it, I'll, I'll be honest, uh, as, as much as I sh- should have. But, I, but what's to, what is the interesting story to me are the managers of these two teams. Um, the manager of the Atlanta Braves, um, I think his name is, is it Brian. I don't know if I can even pronounce his last name. He's got an unusual uh, pronunciation, I think, for his last name. Uh, and also Dusty Baker, who's the manager of, of the Astros. But these are two... Um, managers who've been around in the game for such a long period of time. And at points in time in their career, they've also been passed over uh, for opportunities and jobs. And they're viewed as being sort of um, the traditional uh, managers in baseball who, um, who manage by their gut instinct and not with data and analytics. And I just think it's interesting that you have two old school managers who are leading these teams and, uh, I think it's going to go seven games, right? And um, uh, being a Yankees fan, I'm not really a big fan of the Houston Astros. Uh, and also, quite frankly, we the Yankees have seen the uh, the Braves in the World Series, and we beat them at least in the in 1990s. Uh, but I'm not a huge fan of the Braves either. So I'm not sure if it matters to me who wins. But I just want to see, you know, seven games and, and a good series and a competitive series, and hopefully the uh, the fans will really be into it. All right. The final question is, is you have a lot of Marvel figurines behind you. Uh, it looks like Spider-Man. I see the Hulk. Are you an action figurine hero? Do you like the Marvel comics? What's I, that about? I, I do. I, I like I like I like some of those guys. I mean, when I was growing up as a kid, I was always a big fan of the Hulk and Spider-Man. And you'll see also uh, the thing uh, yep. from Fantastic Four. Oh, uh, yeah. When I was a kid, I used to collect uh, comic books. I have a 10 year old son, uh, who's also gotten into, to the Marvel action figures and some of these things. These are actually a few of his, uh, toys, which I, I stole from his room and I put into my, uh, into my office area down here. But, um, but I love to think about, uh, those figures and, and those action heroes, because it sort of brings me back to a point in time when I was growing up in the New York city area. And of course, you know, growing up with my family and, and a lot of great times back in the day. So nostalgia. I mean, I, yes. my office is also populated with a lot of nostalgic items that make me uh, keep doing what I'm doing, sort of that way. All right. Well, Dennis, thank you so much for joining us on TMTOT. I really appreciate valuable insights that you've given us, and I'm very appreciative of your time. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Evan. Really appreciate it.